We welcome back a friend of the show and of mine, Julian Zelizer. He's a political historian at Princeton University. He's also a New America Foundation fellow. He's published over 500 op-eds, and he has a weekly column on CNN.com. He's received fellowships from the Brookings Institution, the Guggenheim Foundation, and the Russell Sage Foundation. He's written a number of books. The most recent is The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. More than a pleasure to have Julian back on the show. Happy Monday, Julian and good to talk with you again. Good afternoon. Hi there. Thanks for having me. You know, Donald Trump loves to tell us about his strengths. And, of course, Hillary Clinton and people that don't like Donald Trump like to talk about his weaknesses. But they're not always coming from a non-biased, very uh, politically minded with a a non-biased slant and definitely uh, not using any kind of history. And you combine the two in your article entitled Donald Trump's Biggest Weakness. Um, So the first thing you say is that Donald Trump has a temperament problem. Now, some people might say, very good, Julian, even psychologists are saying he's a narcissist. Um, But the temperament problem is a much bigger deal in this race than some people are giving it the credit it deserves to perhaps make a loser out of a guy that thinks he's such a winner. Yeah, I think temperament is important. It's not simply uh, if someone thinks highly of themselves that they're narcissistic. It's literally what's his demeanor when confronted with challenges? How does he respond to opponents? What's his overall attitude on the campaign trail? And what we know from presidents is this is an important part of presidential leadership. And diplomacy, for example, it's very important during negotiations uh, like Reagan had with Gorbachev in the late 80s to be able to contain yourself and to maintain some of the political sentiment that bubbles up in the middle of these moments, or else it could be disastrous. And I think this is something that people have been watching and has caused many Republicans, not just Democrats, to be concerned about him. And there are a lot of people concerned, especially uh, Republicans, his inner circle of advisors. Let's talk about this anger. Despite the fact that Donald Trump consistently displays publicly anger, consistently lashes out against almost anybody, anybody who criticizes him, even the parents of a slain soldier, which even some Trump supporters said, whoa, dude, you know what happened to thank you for your service and sorry for the loss of your son. You write that this has sent Republicans into a full-scale panic, and I would normally agree with you. And then Donald Trump starts attacking Hillary on the short circuit, and then he goes right back again to putting his foot in his mouth, um, you know, saying nasty things about the Somali refugees in in Minnesota, the state that he's soon going to visit. Um, Are Republicans in a full-scale panic? Do they have a right to be? And how come we're not seeing more of this in the polls? Yes, we have seen as of late the past couple of weeks he's dropped nationally and in, in many key battleground states. But this is still a very tight race considering this guy does consistently display this anger publicly and lashing out. Well, part of where you start with when you talk about politics in this day and age is a very polarized electorate. and. The map uh, of the campaign doesn't change that much from one election to another because voters on both sides have very strong feelings about the other party, regardless of who the candidate is. And it's very hard for the parties to shake that. It's very hard to turn a Republican into a Democrat. And that's why elections these days are always decided by a small number of states. 
uh, where there still is some movement, some independent presence, uh, where either independents or voter turnout can turn the election. So I think he benefits from that. Uh, and second, his core supporters do like this anger. They do like this temperament. They do like his overall persona uh, in, in the media. But the poll slippage has been significant. And when you look at some of the states he will need to win, uh, such as Pennsylvania, he's struggling. And he can say he's not, and he can say how he's going to flip all these states. But right now the data doesn't confirm that. So that, combined with Republicans who are openly leaders, Republican leaders who are openly saying they'll vote for Hillary Clinton, I do think his campaign will need to find a way to reverse that. Does it seem that Donald Trump is not just out of control, but that nobody, Republicans or even that inner circle of advisors, uh, can control him, specifically what he's saying when cameras are rolling? Uh, when he goes off script, I would imagine that Paul Manafort dug, digs his fingernails into his own flesh. I'm sure they do. And there's been many leaks coming out of the campaign where advisors are at least saying, uh, we don't know if this is accurate or if it's choreographed, that they don't really have control of him at this point and they can't tell him to tame himself. He has to decide to do that on his own. And that fits with what we know about him from his life in television and his life in business. He is not someone who likes to be handled. So uh, this is a campaign where a lot of the inner circle is basically riding along and trying to do the best to respond, not to the opposition, which is normally the case, but to their own candidate. You had uh, written in your piece about a Washington Post-ABC News poll, only 33% saying Trump has the, quote, kind of personality and temperament to serve effectively as president, compared to 59% uh, for Clinton. Now, uh, likability-wise, they both have low, low ratings and trust you know, worthiness. Um, but uh, does this feed into, do you feel, why, you know, she has a double-digit, you know, people may not like her, but, you know, he, he's got double digits, more people disliking him. Yeah, I mean, I think there's dislike, and that's one issue. And the other is uh, not trusting the person, not simply in terms of are they a politician who's not telling the truth, but can we actually trust them with basic elements of presidential leadership, like having access to nuclear weapons? Uh, and the polls are showing there are, is serious problems, there's serious problems he faces with this kind of trust. Uh, and so I think. That is something that his wilder statements don't help calm, and it will be a problem, and I don't think it's easy to reverse with one speech or another. Uh, this has to be more fundamental in the coming weeks. We, um, how much time before the break, guys? I don't want to uh, come right up against it. Oh, we have 40 seconds. Julian, hang tight. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with you. And if you have a question or comment regarding Republicans and their warning to Trump, which we're going to talk about, and uh, about what Julian has written about, which is Donald Trump's temperament, which Julian says, and many people feel, is Donald Trump's biggest weakness. Agree or disagree, questions or comments, pick up the phone and join us. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. During the break, follow Julian on Twitter at Julian Zelizer, J-U-L-I-A-N-Z-E-L-I-Z-E-R. His website is JulianZelizer.com and check out his pieces for CNN at CNN.com. His book, The Fierce Urgency of Now, led to Johnson Congress and the Battle for the Great Society. We're back on Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Happy Monday. Julian Zelizer, political historian from Princeton University, a New America Foundation fellow. He is a weekly columnist for CNN.com and has authored the book, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. Uh, Julian, referencing your piece for CNN, Donald Trump's Biggest Weakness, um, 
you talk about, and even Newt Gingrich had said, you know, that Donald Trump's plan is, you know, preposterous. And, you know, a lot of people make promises and people forget that presidents alone uh, don't move the economy, uh, nor can they legislate a budget. They have a Congress to work with or a Congress that will work not with them, but against them. But you write in your piece that one lasting characteristic of a candidate that does become apparent as a presidential campaign drags on as this one is, is their temperament. Uh, can you talk to us about this, and, and can you point to history, perhaps, as a reference? Sure. Uh, you know, the voters take everything that happens on the campaign trail with a grain of salt. So candidates promise something, and I think most voters just assume it probably won't happen, either because the candidate won't push for it or because the realities of Washington will ultimately stifle them. But we see a lot of who a person is. Uh, for when Ronald Reagan ran in 1980, for example, one of the things that enchanted many voters wasn't simply his conservative policies or it wasn't some idea that Democrats had to be rebuked as a party. It was also uh, a sense of optimism, a sense of hope, a sense of charisma, uh, and, and in some ways a sense of calm that he sold to the nation. That was a very powerful part of his political appeal. And similarly, I think when Barack Obama ran in 2008, it was partly about change. But one of the most effective moments in the campaign came when there was a total financial meltdown in September of 2008. And he proved throughout the crisis how remarkably uh, contained he could be, how rational he could be, and how he could govern even before he was president uh, and help the nation figure out the crisis. So that kind of demeanor, I think, is is very important in temperament. um, And voters are watching. Definitely. And Republicans are watching, too. And warning, right? I mean, Republican leaders are watching Trump, they're watching the campaign, and they're very much alarmed that uh, alarming, uh, you know, feeling that fear is growing. Um, They are concerned, not just for the presidency, but they feel that Donald Trump has to start sounding like a Republican or they're going to lose the Senate. And this is a very real possibility. I mean, this is where Democrats could, in fact, take over, unlikely when you look at the numbers and the seats up for grabs in the House in November. That's a big issue. So uh, I think you know many Senate Republicans are trying to figure out what to do now. Some of them want to disassociate themselves from Donald Trump entirely and run a campaign that almost doesn't mention his name. The problem is polls are now showing in some of the battleground states that if Donald Trump loses, they will probably lose. Uh, so it's more complicated than simply rebuking their top candidate because that might be the end of their career. So Senate Republican candidates are very concerned about this, uh, and we could potentially see a Democratic White House and a Democratic Senate, which would open up some room for legislating uh, as a result of having Donald Trump in the ticket. And, there, you know, although the odds of the House changing are, are slim because of partisan gerrymandering, there's still some discussion now for the first time that you could even see a flip there. So um, the, the, the kind of reverse coattails of, of Donald Trump could have a big impact. And they want in, in to have him steer the right course of this Republican campaign ship um, to attack Hillary Clinton, to seize on her vulnerabilities, because they know, look, if Trump loses in each of the battleground states by 10 points or more, and, and some people say if he doesn't get every single state Mitt Romney won and more, like Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, or all three, 
uh, they're not going to have a presidency. Do you think Republicans, in a sense, are giving up on a Trump presidency and that's why they're focusing on the Senate? Or do you think they're just concerned about a tsunami? Well, there are some. So not just politicians, but the Koch brothers, for example, the famous Republican conservative donors, are really concentrating their attention on the Senate races. And I, I do think there are some Republicans who are assuming right now Hillary Clinton is going to win this. Uh, it's not even simply a rejection of Donald Trump. It's just being resigned to that being uh, a lost campaign. And they want to make sure that uh, Hillary Clinton as president has what President Obama has faced since 2011, meaning a Republican Congress, because that's the best insurance to block legislation, to block progress on her agenda. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not sure they have figured out how to make that happen, how to make this split ticket work, uh, as opposed to having something like 1964 when one party just clobbers the other, both in the presidential and congressional races. John McCain told Mike Pence, you got to focus on Clinton. It would seem that Donald Trump doesn't let Mike Pence talk too much. As a matter of fact, you just don't see, I don't feel, the chemistry, friendship, and camaraderie, because certainly there wasn't that in the history that you see between Clinton and Kane. Um, but um, as much as Trump needs help from the Republicans, the Republicans, especially Senate Republicans, also need help from him, don't they? Absolutely. And, and part of McCain's warning is, in, in some ways, he's making the argument that Trump is a lost cause to run simply as Trump, that the biggest potential avenue toward victory for the Republicans is to make this about Hillary Clinton. And that's where, where we started the conversation. The polarization of the electorate is very important, and uh, very few voters in this day and age are willing to switch parties. So if you could make this uh, a campaign about her you have a better chance of having Republican voters say, you know what, I might not love Trump, but I really don't like her, and I want to make sure she's not president. I want to make sure all of a sudden we don't have a virtually united Democratic government. The problem is he's had trouble doing that. At many points there were openings with the email scandal and uh, news coverage, but uh, Donald Trump as a person likes to bring it back to himself, and when he does that, he ironically diminishes some of the chances for him to pull this off. I want to talk about also a bounce, and we did see a bounce after the Democratic convention. There was an NBC Wall Street Journal poll that was released last week showing Democrats uh, have an edge nationally when they were at, in the polls, the people being polled were asked which party should be in charge of Congress. 47% registered voters prefer now a Democratic-controlled Congress, 43% favoring a GOP-controlled one. Is this just a bounce because of the organization, the eloquence and, and brilliance, quite frankly, of some of those speakers, um, and visually just a, a convention that looked more like the true demographics of this nation? Um, or does Trump and this temperament and the crazy things that come out of his mouth and the very divisive and um, you know a very, very negative uh, rhetoric that comes out of his mouth, does that play into it as well? Yeah, look, she did uh, experience a bounce. She did experience the benefit of a very well-done convention. And by the standards of the contemporary period where you don't get a big bounce, she got a big one. And so looking at the timing, it's hard to ignore that the combination of what the Democrats did combined with the much angrier rhetoric that I think shocked some people at the Republican convention, that helped. But it also is a, just an accumulation of voter sentiment, I think, 
over uh, the overall character of the two campaigns and the message that both candidates are sending. So this is why uh, I don't think the Republicans can just discount this as being some bump that will go away. I think there are deeper problems with this campaign that they need to figure out how they can remake this as best as possible. Let's take some calls. 8886-LESLIE is our number. Let's go to Columbus, Ohio, uh, another uh, battleground state, Ohio, certainly. Gregory is on line three. Uh, Gregory, thank you for joining us, listening on iHeartRadio. Uh, Gregory, question or comment for our guest, Julian Zelizer? Um, comment. And I, you, you asked disqualifying Trump. Well, I, I think, number one, it's himself, because I think that when he thought the world was created, God created him, and then Jesus came along for the ride. Um, Trump's biggest thing is that Trump has never had to be in a commoner's shoes. He always had everything given to him, and if it wasn't given to him, it was bought for him. And you look at and you see how now the Republican Party is being held hostage for by him, and that now it, it's like he's his biggest obstacle. I mean, you hear him one moment scream and yell about, oh, they said bad things about me, and this, and then the next moment you hear, you know, crooked Hillary and lying Ted. I mean, so you look at, you know, it, me, I would say psychology, mm-hmm. psycholog- psychologically, he need to be checked out. But I, I seriously think that there's some other things in that man's closet that's got some cobwebs on it that they can't clear. Uh, thank you for the call. Julian, any response to that? Maybe not the well, Jesus, but... <laughs> yeah, sure. Look, uh, I think all the points Gregory's talking about come back to this fundamental image that worked very well for him in the primaries. It worked well for him when he had a television show. It, it made him a larger-than-life character, an anti-hero. Uh, but now it's proving to be problematic. This is a very different environment. You ultimately are trying to convince... Uh, Americans to trust you with power and responsibility, and ultimately you have to be a party leader. Running for president is in part getting your own party to all come together behind your campaign. So being divisive all the time doesn't work. Uh, And so I think Gregory's right in that often this is uh, mistakes that he's making rather than simply big fundamental problems with the Republican Party. Uh, But they can't stop him at this point. Uh, And so I don't think any Republican has figured out a way around what's happened in the last week. Uh, Today's speech on the economy is one effort to shift the conversation to policies, but it's unclear how uh, long he can stay on message. Um, okay, we've uh, run out of time for the other callers and for you, Julian, but you will have you back and really uh, glad to have you with us on my first day back from vacay. Uh, Julian Zelizer can be followed on Twitter at Julian Zelizer, the website JulianZelizer.com. Read his pieces every week for CNN.com. His book, get it, great. I've read it. We've had him on about it when he first wrote it. The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. 